would think that. to be the opposite. I want it to be Okay, there we go. person in our family, which is awesome. Yesterday we went to a wedding, which was wonderful as well, and what led to a lot of these thoughts here are thinking beyond past my uncle's passing this summer, and um, I had shared some scripture at his funeral, and I felt very honored to be able to do that, because I'd been to funeral other funerals in the past where there hadn't been really much gospel-centered truth presented, and I thought, after I went to those funerals, I thought, if I ever, ever get a chance to speak at a funeral, I'm not going to waste it. So that was my goal, and um, it was kind of processing through how do I, how do we, how do I, and how do I encourage other people to work through these tragic things that happen, and I mean, not, it's everywhere you watch the news, you're saying the world that we live in is, um, it's very difficult, yet none of it is a surprise to God. And what came to mind was sort of turbulent waters, which is what we're showing up here. Um, and that's often could be more turbulent than that, or maybe a little less, but you get the idea. Um, so I want to read a scripture I had read at the funeral that really gave me a lot of hope. Um, it's in Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, 
We also believe, and so also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So there's one part of this scripture that really kind of, was almost like it was written in all caps to me. <laughs> for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's a very weighty statement, yeah. right? The, this week, um, Simon came home from school and said he was learning about weight and balance. He said, if you want the scale to balance, the weights have to be the same. Yeah, this is good science, right? So if you're thinking about balance and weight, you know, thinking about the weight of the affliction that you may feel or that you may see really can weigh on you mentally, emotionally, and also physically. And God says that these things are light and momentary based on this weight of glory. So in thinking about my uncle's death and how could this happen and how could it have happened the way that it happened and you know, I know these truths about God and I know the facts that this happened. So kind of wrestling with they both they're both true. How do I make sense of them in my in my heart? Um, and and one very I don't know, this this little piece of scripture right here talking about the weight. I mean, it wasn't just this one thing that happened in just my life, of course. It was everything that happened in all of your lives and all of the lives of everyone in the world. The weight that must be. I mean, I started thinking about, well, how how could that possibly be? You, You see death and destruction and evil and tragedy, and it's so easy to kind of distance yourself from it because we can't bear it. But there are times when we do need to enter in. And when we were forced to enter in, as in this case with me, um, it's amazing how God gives us grace for that. He doesn't necessarily give us grace for every single what if that we can think of. What if this happens or that? But he does give us grace for what he's asked us to walk through. And it was really an amazing thing to see God be so faithful to help me to make sense of those things. To help me understand Yes, these things have happened, but wait, there's more. Can you, you, he can see the end from the beginning. We can see the end from the beginning in some of the stories that he gives us, right? We see in the Old Testament all these stories. Well, if Joseph had known at the end what was going to happen, would he be able to endure better along the way? Maybe. But God doesn't give us that information for good reason. He asks us to trust him. So, how did Jesus endure this when he was here? He he was afflicted in many ways. Hebrews 12.2 says, well, I'll start a little bit before. I'll just start with one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So I never had seen the connection between these two verses before, but 
You know, you're talking about momentary affliction based on eternal glory. And I started to wonder, was the how how is the cross compared to light and momentary affliction? Which is still a very good question to me. I don't know if I'm ready to call the cross light and momentary affliction. If anybody has any wisdom for me after this, that would be great. Um, but was it for Jesus? Because he set he had set before himself the joy of what was to come, the eternal weight of glory. So if you're talking about eternity, which is like infinity, you know, you start to talk think about things mathematically like dividing by zero. Like these things you just can't fathom, you can't understand. So how do I think about this in the context of my life? How do I encourage other people in this way? How do I grasp for this joy that is so great that it can outshadow all of these horrors that we see? Fortunately, I'm not writing my own story, and none of us are writing our own stories. Um, which brings me to what some things I want to show you up here. And that's years ago. Actually, I think this started when Jonathan came here to America. When Jonathan came, I had never met him. Most of us had never met him. And he came to our parents' house that night that you flew in. And you brought a movie. You're like, do you want to watch the movie? And I was thinking, well, that's a little strange. He wants to watch a movie. But, okay, he's probably tired. And we just all need to sit in the same room and not necessarily talk to each other. But he brought a movie about Adam and Eve. It was the Genesis um, big production thing that you brought and so it was it was kind of long but it was really good and I thought after I watched that I was amazed at how I had never really thought through these bible stories as if I were living them like these people they struggled they there were there was so much time in between these happenings when you read the chapters it's just they did this they did this they had some children they were this many years old and they died and whatever but Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they didn't know what it meant to that they were going to die. They didn't know what it meant to have children and to struggle with that. And so in this movie, they're showing, they're showing Adam and Eve's life you know, from the beginning until they died. But it was this struggle and how they were, they were struggling with the sin, but they were also becoming more aware of what God was going to do through that. And that started something thinking in me. And so a couple of years ago, I had done a teaching at Crosswave Hands about thinking about these stories and how we're not writing our own stories. So I want to share a few of those things with you. Um, versus Abraham and Sarah. And you were talking about this a few minutes ago, about the promise. So when Abraham was roughly 75 years old, God calls him to go to a land he'll show him, and he's going to give him a nation. Well, Abraham has no children. Um, his wife is not able to have children. Um, and then 10 years ago by, 10 years or so, and they think, well, maybe God, maybe God meant for us to make this happen. So um, Sarah says, here's my maidservant. Why don't you go have a baby with her? Well, <laughs> that didn't turn out so well. <laughs> and then years later, when Sarah is nearly 90, and Abraham is near 100. The visitors come, and Sarah's in her tent, and she hears what they say. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. 
So in this case, it took about 25 years between that initial promise and when Isaac was born. I mean, I'm 35, so 25 years is a long time to me. (laughs) But imagine waiting for that promise. And what were they, we don't have a ton of details about what they were doing all that time. Were they thinking about it every day? Were they, did they forget for a little while and think about it again? I mean, I'm sure they wondered. I'm sure they struggled. What was going on? And in this case, God, God gave the promise, and then he made it physically impossible for that promise to be fulfilled. I mean, he, he was the one who had caused Sarah's body to be unable to conceive or bear children. And in doing that, he made sure that everybody knew that he was the one who made that happen. Not only was she able, not able to have children, she was in her old age, past the time of even a healthy woman being able to do that. So then it continues with Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac is 40 years old when he marries Rebecca, who is 20 years old at the time. Um, and I didn't realize this until I started investigating, but Rebecca was not able to have children for 20 years. She was 40 and he was 60 when Jacob and Esau were born. 20 years. So that's a pretty long time too, especially when you're thinking about something like children. I mean, I'm sure their bodies were a little bit different back then, but it, it takes, it's a long time. So in Genesis 25, it says, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed for the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now it doesn't say in here what the timing was. I mean, was he praying for her from the very, very beginning? Or, sure he was, but... It doesn't say what they were doing during that time. They were waiting. They were wondering, how is God going to fulfill this promise? And that wasn't the end of the tumultuous life for them. Certainly not. Uh, Jacob and Esau had plenty of their own. Which leads to, skip a generation, to Joseph. So, Jacob has two wives, Leah and Rachel. And Rachel's unable to conceive yet again. Um... But eventually, God gives her Joseph, which doesn't, who doesn't get, get along with his brothers um, because of the dreams. He's sold into slavery at age 17. He becomes a slave. He does well in Potiphar's house. He's promoted. He's um, sent to jail for something he didn't do. He, has dream, he interprets the dreams in jail. He ends up staying in jail for two more years before the um, cupbearer remembers him and Pharaoh has his dream and he comes back up to tell Pharaoh his dreams. He's, promote, he's promoted to second in command at age 30. And then he has to wait seven years for the famine plus two more years, I'm oh, sorry, seven years of, of uh, plenty and then two, more, two years of famine before his brothers come looking for food. So he's 39 by the time that happens. And his reunion with his father is two years later when he's 41. So all of his prime years of life are spent, roughly half of them are spent in jail, wondering. Imagine all those years waiting and wondering, what is God going to do? And through all of this, he gains an incredible perspective. In Genesis 50, it says, As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. 
And like I was saying before, we think, oh, God, if I only knew what you were asking me to walk through, then I could kind of pace myself through that. I've, th- I've thought that so many times before. Well, if I knew how long I had to wait or what I had to, then you know, I could kind of put my eyes on that finish line and say, I can get there. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I'm asking you to endure just this and then everything will be fine. <laughs> if, we, if we had that, we would be trusting in ourselves. We wouldn't be trusting in him. Um, so there's a, this continues on with Ruth and Naomi is another one that come to, come to mind. And Ruth is a very short book. So you read it real quick and like, okay, they had a famine, so they went over here and then they died, the husbands died and then they came back over here and, you know, it, it goes by so quickly when you read it. But I've, I've learned to really enjoy thinking through, kind of chewing on what was their lives like as they go through these different elements of the story. So they were, Ruth was married to 10 years, and I um, can't remember, I didn't write down the guy, her husband's name, but they, they had no children for 10 years. She was there with Naomi. Naomi had lost her husband and both of her sons. Um, they decide, she decides to go back to her land, and they, Ruth, uh, Ruth goes with her. And thinking about what she was walking through, Ruth was not one of them. She goes back because she has seen God and Naomi, and she doesn't know what's going to happen. She, her husband is gone. Her father-in-law is gone. She has, she's probably had wanted children, and now maybe that's not going to happen. Um, and then miracle after miracle starts to take place with Boaz and the kinsman redeemer that he is, and then the baby, and then the lineage of that baby leading into David and then ultimately to Jesus. And there's a book um, by John Piper called, um, it's on the next page, what's it called? I'll get back to it. It's all about Ruth. It's a very short book, but he expands the story of Ruth, and it's incredible. A Sweet and Bitter Providence is what it's called. Um, I have written down, I've outlined and written down so many quotes from that book. It's a very good short read. Um... The next one I was thinking about was David. So David is anointed by Samuel as the next king when he's young, teenage, 12 to 16-ish range. Um, and he probably felt pretty good about himself. I'm going to be the next king. Well, so then he <laughs> he has to go see his brothers. He fights Goliath. He's like, yeah, now I'm really somebody. Well, and Saul tries to kill him many times. Playing the heart for Saul, becomes friends with Jonathan. He runs in hiding. He's married several times. Uh, he finally becomes king at age 30. But that's not the end of his troubles. He disobeys God. He has trouble with his sons. But David, at the end of all of it, is a man after God's heart. And he has learned how to pour out his heart to God in all of this agony. David is the one we can see most clearly of all of these, what he does in the middle. Because we have the Psalms, we can see him pouring out his heart to God in agony where we can see his rejoicings. Um, So the next one is Joseph and Mary. So Joseph and Mary are just ordinary people and then their lives are turned upside down. There are a lot of times when we, something happens in life and you think, well, when is things going to get back to normal? Well, normal, as you know it, is gone, it's done, it's never coming back. (laughs) There's a new normal. And so for them, I don't know if they ever had a new normal, if it was constantly being changed. 
Um, but they're a young couple whose world was shaken upside down. They've had the appearance of impropriety before their marriage. Jesus is born, and they're sent to Egypt and back to Nazareth, and there's a mystery about him and all. Until um, when Jesus is a baby, Mary has a prophecy spoken to her that a sword will, will pierce her soul. And she had no idea what that was, <laughs> nor could she have, have been able to bear it if she had known. So back to Jesus' joy that was set before him in enduring the cross. The things that we see in our life that are happening that we don't understand, we see as setbacks. God is plotting for our joy the way that Jesus was looking forward to that joy. There's a joy that's waiting for us that we can't even imagine. When you think of the most joyful thing in your the life that you've experienced. I, mean, I was overjoyed to hear that my nephew had been born. It's a very wonderful and joyful thing. But it's a very small thing compared to what God has promised us. So this is what led me to this Paul Tripp quote. is very good. We're called to wait because God is sovereign. We're not writing our own stories. We're not writing our own stories. So thinking about stories a lot... God is the ultimate storyteller. We are living in a story. We are part of his story. So what do we what do we like about stories? Think about your favorite story. There's a lot of good stories. And think about your favorite moment of that story. What is it that makes it your favorite? When I was a kid, one of my... Not that this was my favorite story, but it was a favorite moment. When I was five years old, I went to see the movie Cinderella in the theater... And I had nightmares about the evil some other. <laughs> but the good part of the story that I remembered was um, the the palace staff are going around looking for Cinderella. They're looking for her, and all they don't know who she is. The only way they know is if she fits into this glass slipper. So at least in the Disney movie, you know, here they're trying to put it on her, and the stepmother trips the guy, and he falls down, and the glass slipper shatters into a million pieces on the floor. And there's this moment, and then she goes, but you see, I have the other slipper. And that gives me goosebumps every time. <laughs> I have the other slipper. And this is just a little story about something silly almost. But there's this moment in every story, if it's a good story, where you think, wow, that's good. <laughs> but you can't have that if you don't have a plot to your story. And you got to have... If your character is going to become somebody and grow, you have to have a plot in the story, right? You can't just kind of float along and the person, you know, they grow up and they get married and they have a few kids. They have a great job and they get to go on vacation every now and then and they don't get sick. Things just float along. Who wants to read that story? It's kind of boring, right? <laughs> a good story is something with ups and downs and ins and outs and struggle and overcoming. And that's what makes a good story. So when God's writing these stories... You know, you're reading these stories in the Old Testament about Joseph and Abraham. God's writing your story. And your story is going to have those elements too. And so if I can see that perspective, I think, okay, this is this is this thing that I'm in is not going to be forever. It's part of the story. So I was talking with Laura Catherine yesterday at the wedding, and I was kind of telling her some of the stuff I was going to talk about. And I said, we act like we want our lives to have, our stories to have no plot. And she's like, you're right. That's really good. That's a good point. We act like we want our story to have no plot. We just want to, we don't want anything bad to happen. We want things to be easy and go our way. But that's not 
how the story writer is writing the story. Our stories need plot, especially because plot is what gives the char- the stories of the, the characters in the story their character development. So God gives us these stories to understand our story, us in His story, better. So there's a there's a John Piper quote that is in this book I mentioned that I just I really like it because it's talking about the stories and how we want our lives to have no plot basically. Life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road, switchback after switchback. <coughs> and the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth and David and all those guys is to help us feel in our bones. Not just in our heads that God is for us in all these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He's plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Look at that path. Our, our path is probably even more switchbacky than that one. <laughs> and I'd, I've, I've learned to, when something happens, I've learned to think, if I'm, I'm surprised, some shocking thing happens. Someone gets, Someone is in an accident, someone gets hurt. Something, something terrible happens, and I think, well, I'm shocked and surprised, and I want to know why this happened. But God is not surprised. He's not surprised at all. He knew it and planned it from before the beginning of time. And so, in that, if if He knew all that, why can't I trust Him with that? There's a verse in uh, Proverbs 31 talking about the wife of noble character. She can laugh at the days to come. I've always admired her quality of being able to do that because my first reaction is to worry about the days to come, not to laugh at the days to come. To be able to have, and it's not a dismissive attitude about the days to come. It's a focus on Jesus and trust in him and that future joy attitude to the days to come that gives her the ability to laugh. So we can, we can think about chance and what ifs, but in the end, these proverbs are very wise the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. God knows what we're going to say every time we say anything for the rest of our lives, and he's already planned it. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It's a really great story that you shared about that woman. <laughs> the Lord has established her steps and the steps of that nurse. It's incredible. A lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Anything that even seems like chance is not, really. So, here's the calm seat. <laughs> the thing that we are looking forward to. Um, and, of course, the seas change as we go through life. It's not all one or the other. But So, thinking back to... Um, the death of my uncle um, being on the other side of it not that I've arrived and made peace with every aspect of it and everything's fine it's not that kind of the other side it's it's the other side of it happening so I don't know I've taught this, some of you before about what is it like when something you're afraid of happens or what is it like when you have experienced something very difficult and you've pushed through and reached the other side what is that like and to me, it gave me this incredible freedom and incredible hope in God. Because if God helped me to walk through that, and no matter how big or small it is, it's different for, more, for all of us. If God helped me to walk through this thing that was difficult for me, 
he'll help me to walk through everything else. <coughs> and that that is I think is one of the keys to laughing at the days to come. I don't know what the days will bring, but I know that he is where he is there. He's with me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. It's another promise that he's given us. And we can trust him. So in all of this, I had been thinking about a poem, and you guys are probably thinking I always share poems, but they're so they help you think so well. Um, this poem is by Cory Ten Boom, who had a very good perspective on life. It says, "My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors He weaveth steadily." Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the, the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing his truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. That last two lines just stuck in my head all week. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. I want to be able to do that. I really want to leave the choice to him. This verse, John thirteen seven, when Jesus said, You don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. He said this when, right as he was getting ready to wash Peter's feet. And Peter said, No, no, you can't do that. What are you doing? And Jesus said, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but someday you will. And that applies to other things as well. We don't understand what he's doing right now, but someday we will. And that's another promise. In the Jesus Storybook Bible that I like to read with my kids, it talks about how he's working on making all the sad things come untrue. And I never thought about it that way until I read that Bible, that version, that um, type of Bible. But that promise, behold, I'm making all things new. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's a promise. That's an incredible promise. All those things that happen compared to the weight of glory. He's making all these things come untrue. What what else can give you such hope to, to walk through your day? And yet, tomorrow I can wake up and have to preach this whole thing to myself again. <laughs> which I tend to do. Is there? Okay. So the last scripture that I wanted to read is 2 Corinthians one twenty. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That it is why through him we utter our amen, amen to, the glory, to God for his glory. Let me read that again. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Think about the story that God is weaving through our lives and through everything. And when you think about a good story, especially think about 
Think about a science fiction story where they can go back in time. Okay, so you're you're watching the the story, reading the story, and something really cool happens, and you think for that to have happened, they would have had to have planted that back here, right? For that to those two people, to, their courses to line up for this cool thing to happen. Well, everything that God does was you see something happen, it was planted back here. Well, that thing was planted back here, and it keeps on going back to before time began. He had the whole glorious thing put together. And there's so many times I think, well, if I had known that, I could have planned better for that, and it could have been this cool thing. And the, the, the awe that we have when something works together like that. God had that woman born, and her name was, Joseph, was Lazarina. And he had this other woman born over here, knew that she was going to have cancer someday. In all their lives, he was working and doing things separately. And there was one moment when they met, and it was it was amazingly significant to them both, and they could go on their ways. Everything that happens is like that. It, just to, to think that way and think, wow, God, you put it all together. How can I, how can I say, God, I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if I can trust you for that. He already knows. He's already been, been orchestrating it. He's always working in our lives and... So many ways that we don't even know or see. So there's there's something in all of this that I, I've been reading. And I read a lot of Desiring God. And one of my favorite authors there is John Bloom. He just has a way with his words. Uh, but he was talking about the Isaac factor. And how God makes a promise. He makes it appear impossible. And then he carries it out. And God's, God does that in our lives. Hallelujah. So let's pray. God, you are amazing and incredible, and you have given us minds and hearts to awe at who you are. You've given us the ability to see your handiwork and to be amazed at the work of your creation, the things that you have made, the plans that you have orchestrated, the seemingly impossible way that you have worked all things together. And another promise you give us is that you work together all these things for our good, those of us who love you. We pray, God, that our, your promises would take hold of our hearts, that through all these difficulties they would, they would push us closer to you, that we would not waste those opportunities, those high prices that are paid to bring us close to you. We pray, God, God, that for the rest of today, this week, tomorrow, when we wake up, that we would wake up and say, God, you planned this day. You know what it is, and help me to trust you. Please, God, help me to trust you. Help me to be that woman who can laugh at the days to come because of her trust in you. There is nothing greater than knowing you, God, and we thank you for calling us to be yours. We pray for your blessing on us and help us to... Be overflowing and overwhelmed with the joy and the truth of your word, that it might overflow and spill out of us to those that we meet. We thank you for the incredible blessing of new life and pray that this new little boy would grow to know and love you. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name, through whom we utter the amen to the glory of the God the Father. Amen. Amen. I don't have any plans for this next week. God does, though. <laughs> I screwed it in because I wasn't sure it was going to pop out. Do you want to do another thing? Yeah. Okay.
what to say pray with me one more time Lord we give thanks to you our trust and our our hope in you bring glory to your name and Lord we, we cast each day's trouble and sorrow upon your lap and we look to your hand Father we, for your grace and your strength and your mercy in our lives but help us extend this confidence and hope to others now sing this with me Mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with Him. And at the side of the court. Let's start again. Mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with Him. Yet I look forward to treasure. And forsake the King of Kings. But mine is hope in my Redeemer. Though I fall, His love is sure. For Christ has paid for every failing. I am His tears in times of sorrow darkness not yet understood through the valley I must travel where I see the world but mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes His work. Mine are days here as a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way. One with Christ I will encounter. But mine is armor for this battle, strong. 
taking with us the keys of the kingdom the grace and the mercy and the love of our Father and Jesus waits for all those who call upon his name and I believe by, by his spirit he, he works along the way to help us to sustain us and to give us strength to endure every day to persevere to love when we don't feel like loving someone be merciful when that's the farthest thing from our mind. To extend grace, generosity, and hospitality to people. So Father, we thank you for the joy that was set before Jesus, that he endured that cross. And Lord, it's an amazing thought to think about the, the balances of heaven and the weight of affliction compared to the weight of eternal glory. Lord, who among us would say no to the affliction if we were promised glory? So great that you say it's not even worth comparing the affliction. Lord, may we be a people of confidence and hope to others. And mine are keys to Zion City 
where beside the King I walk, for there my heart has found its treasure, Christ is mine forevermore, Christ is mine forevermore, Christ is mine We say yes and amen, Lord God. We trust you. Lord, every prayer need in our, in our family here this, this morning. Lord, every desire of your heart that you want to see us to believe and trust you in and to walk with you in. Lord, every storm that waits around the corner, Lord, we will stand and we'll, we will not fear. We can laugh at adversity. Because you've promised. You've worked it all out, Lord. We trust you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Jason. Um, well, does anyone have any comments or things you'd like to share? Any way that the message has helped you this morning? I remember that the movie Jonathan watched here. A potent reminder. Yeah. Any birthdays this week? There was one today. <laughs> yesterday. 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 It was last week's. Roger, I hope you had a good birthday. Yeah. I guess Wendy's is coming. A couple more weeks. Uh, okay. Over there's Miss Mary. Mary, good timing. Anything you want to share with us? Um, yes, Sandy Witt is the lady who does all of our birthday cards. <laughs> and they are such a blessing. So Sandy, thank you, thank Sandy. You. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Colin Lazarina? Lazarina. You weren't here for the story. Oh, I was. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So if we could pray for him before.